You may remain standing for the reading of the Word. Our reading comes from Hebrews chapter 2, and it's page 1001 in your pew Bible. And the reason I mention that, if you didn't bring your Bible, I'd like for you to get a pew Bible and follow along because I'm going to add a verse to the reading that's here so we can get the whole paragraph together for our message this morning. But welcome. Good to see you. Let's now turn to the Word of God. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message delivered by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The Word of the Lord. And you may be seated. This passage is a passage of exhortation telling us to pay close attention to that which we've heard. And in retrospect, the writer here is saying what we've heard in chapter 1. We've already heard a sevenfold description of the Son. We've heard about how the Lord speaks now in these last days. The Father speaks through the Son and in one who is the Son. And then we saw a sevenfold description of the Son, and then seven passages from the Old Testament which tell us about the Son, how He is superior, how He is sovereign, how He is a Savior. And now we come to the practical application of that. It says, therefore, we need to pay close attention to that which we have heard lest we drift away from it. And I was a little reluctant to put this together, but Mark selected last week this passage, and then about the middle of the week, he said he was going to preach on it again. Well, I, you know, I put all my soap into one sermon, and I'm out of soap. What am I going to do? I mean, we're going to go back over the same place. But I realized as I looked at it, we really hadn't touched the passage yet. Well, that's what I'm going to do this morning. And I feel a little bit uh, reluctant to do that because almost everything I'm going to say this morning, I've already preached up here in the last few years out of a couple of passages. But I'm going to go over it one more time, and I hope there's one person here. I don't know who you are. I hope there's one person here that learned something from this repetition this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a rerun. But it is foundational. And I think that's why the writer brings us back to we must pay closer attention 
give more diligence to understand and look minutely and closely at those things which we have heard because it's so easy to take them for granted. It's so easy to think, I have heard the gospel before. It's so easy to think, well, I understand the scriptures. I've read them. I know the, 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 the scope of the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures. And it's easy to live with this knowledge and be comfortable with it. And we end up doing exactly what the passage says, lest we drift away from it. The picture there is someone in a boat that's drifting down a river and is so complacent that they actually pass up the destination on the shore. And as they drift down the river, they just slip away, drift away and miss the whole thing entirely because it seemed to be too easy and too obvious. So that's what the writer is directing us to. Now, what he's telling us here is the nature of this information that we have. The gospel message comes to us via a process. And the process is found in one word, and it's used twice in the sentence, and that's my outline. I have two points. The first one is found there in verse 2, for since the message declared by the angels. That's the word, declared. It's a word that means affirmatively, truthfully, set forth, faithfully. It is a declaration that bears with it the weight of truth. The angels delivered a message of truth. And then in the second half of verse 3, which is the extended portion of our text, it was declared at first by the Lord. So we've got two things, something that the angels declared and something that the Lord declared. Now let's look at each one of them briefly. The message declared by angels was the law. The law came through the work, the ministering, messaging work of angels. We find it in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 33 when Moses sings that great song that sort of sums up Israel's experience. He says, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people and all his holy ones were at his hand. So they followed in your steps receiving direction from you when Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Did you catch that beautiful poetry? The Lord came with his holy ones. That's the myriads of angels, the thousands and the ten thousands that are spoken of several times in Scripture. They came, and at his right hand, they were his flaming fire, his ministers, his aides in delivering the law on Mount Sinai to Moses for the people. And that covenant that God gave them was the covenant of life. Do all this law and you will live, it says. This is your life and the length of your days, it was said about the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This particular concept might sound a little strange to you, but it shouldn't if you've looked at your New Testament. 
Paul in Galatians, in speaking of the law, in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, why then the law? Now he has a different line of argument about what he's saying about the law, but listen to this one little phrase, talking about the law, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. I remember it wasn't too many years ago when I noticed that. The angels faithfully mediated and administered the law to Moses. The same thing was found, interestingly enough, if you go to the book of Acts. You remember Stephen, the first martyr who was a deacon and who preached this marvelous sermon that was recorded in Acts chapter 7? And as he preaches, and he goes through the whole history of Israel, because he's showing that Jesus is the expected Messiah of Israel, and he gets down toward the end of his sermon, in fact, the very end of this sermon, and he says, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did you not persecute? And they kill those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. There's, that's a pretty stiff preaching right there. And speaking of murder, the very next verse, or, the, or two verses following, it says, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And one of the witnesses to the stoning consenting to the death was Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. But notice what Stephen said at the very last recorded phrase of that sermon, talking about how you have betrayed and murdered you, talking to the Jewish leaders, who received the law as delivered by angels. So it's an important thing in the mind of the Hebrew people, this mediatorial work, this messaging work done by the angels. And it says, this law delivered as angels, which you did not keep. In other words, you have already rejected the law by not keeping it. And that's what the warning it says here in verse 2 of our text in Hebrews 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, that's the law, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, the law set out a sentence and a punishment for the breaching and the breaking and the transgression of the law. And if the law had some teeth in it, whereby just retribution was put upon someone who broke the law, and it delineates many, many things in the Old Testament law, as you well know, beyond the Ten Commandments. About 400 and something, and some have sort of numbered them. There was a punishment. If the angels delivered a message that had teeth in it that punished you, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? People breaking the law didn't get away with it. Now how can we expect to get away with it? If we neglect so great salvation, and now salvation is referred to, now salvation is in the picture, 
We're not looking anymore at law. We're looking at gospel. The salvation that is brought in Jesus Christ, it says it, that salvation, was first declared. Here we are. Here's the second declaration. If the first declaration had a validity to it, and a posture to it that brought about its effectiveness, and the people hearing it broke the law, how do you think you're going to escape if you neglect the solution, the salvation, the deliverance? He's going to say later in the verse, there's no more salvation. If you reject Christ, there's nothing left. There's no other step to go through. There's no fallback. There's no net. If you neglect the salvation that is proffered in Christ, you have no place else to go in God's economy. And then he talks about this particular salvation that was declared by the Lord, first declared by the Lord. And here we find that which we see fulfilling chapter 1, verse 1, wherein it is said that in the old times God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Now in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son. And that's what the gospel is. It's interesting that the gospel that you've heard preached by Billy Graham and who knows how many other evangelists in your lifetime didn't start with them. The first person to preach the gospel, the first person to declare and proclaim the salvation of grace was Jesus himself. And that's what you see as you sort of scan through the pages of the New Testament in Mark Gospel of Mark chapter 1, once it, Mark talks in a few verses about John the Baptist's ministry, it says, and when John was done with his preaching ministry, Mark says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is the first preacher of the gospel. It came from his lips. He was not only the provider of our salvation, but he was the first one to proclaim that salvation. And as our text said, it was spoken first by him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, there's that famous passage where Jesus came to the synagogue in the commencement of his ministry, read out of the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, how the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And that's who the original gospel preacher was in the New Testament days. It was the Lord himself. And then it says that it was attested to us by those who heard Jesus preached the gospel, and those who heard him preach attested, affirmed the gospel. The best passages we have, and we've shared both of them over the years, but let me just review them quickly for you. There's a pair of, of, of uh, books in the New Testament that was written by a single author, Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke, 
as a first volume, and then he wrote the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, as a second volume. And the two go together. And they each have kind of a, a purpose, a, a preface. And let me read for you these two prefaces. The Gospel of Luke. Here Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, among us just as those who from the beginning, that's what that word means. It was, perched, it was preached first, first by Christ in our text, first. It's the word archaic. It means the archaic or the beginning, the first, the chief preaching of the gospel. From the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers the word they have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke is going to inscripturate the apostolic message concerning Jesus Christ. Things about Christ, the narrative of the life of Christ, sayings of Christ, and then the essence of what Christ's earthly ministry was all about. And he's going to, even at the very end of his gospel, give us an episode of Christ himself interpreting the Old Testament scriptures on the Emmaus road to his disciples so that there was no mistake about how they interpreted the Old Testament. Jesus conducted a class in hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation going along the road. This is how you see the Old Testament. You see the Old Testament because it's me all through there. Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, it's all me. And so that corpus of teaching is what we are not to move away from. That make that the content of the gospel is a person. It's not a set of propositions, although it can be elucidated propositionally. It's a person. It's Christ. It's a man. That's why we come to know the man. We've come to Christ. We learn more and more of him. We take his yoke upon us and we learn of him. But we know him. That's why the Old, the Old Testament prophesied of the New Covenant said, you won't have to say to everybody, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the greatest to the least of them. Because I will put my law, my heartbeat, my the transcript of my character in their heart. That's what the gospel preaching is all about. It's a transfer of the character and the mind of God into the heart and the mind of the disciple. And then the other uh, passage, the other uh, preface to the book of Acts. Listen to how Luke continues in his second volume. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now listen to this. To them, that is those apostles, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. That's why it's a declaration. It's affirmed. It's truth. 
We can be confident with it. We've not followed cunningly devised fables, says Peter, but we have followed the very Lord himself. That's why we have a confidence in our Bible is because this is the witness of the apostles. He showed himself alive by many proofs. What were these proofs? These proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days. Jesus walked and talked with these very apostles, these very disciples that had been with him for three years. And he showed himself alive in every way. And the scriptures said that this is the writing down, the recording, the inscripturation of the apostolic record. Now Jesus did what the text says, signs and wonders and mighty works. That phrase is used over and over, those three things, signs, wonders, and mighty works. And this is, to not repeat too much, this is, this is the composite of the types of miracles Jesus did. Everything from healing someone, to casting out demons, to calming the storm, to turning the water into wine, to feeding the 5,000. There's a range of things that the Lord did that are called signs, wonders, miracles, powerful indicators of his divinity and of his power. And the, the story of the apostles is they continued that work. Listen to a couple of uh, texts from the book of Acts, just summary text. This is the um, sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost, Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Peter's talking to the group of people that had witnessed firsthand Christ, both believers and unbelievers. They had seen the miracles. Whether they believed on Jesus or not, they had seen the miracles. This is Peter's preaching again before the council. It's kind of hard to know where to start with these texts because there's full of so much good stuff. But let me just stay to the one verse. It's right in the middle of Peter's thought. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of our holy, of your holy servant, Jesus. That's a prayer that's being prayed by the disciples, led by Peter in which they're thanking the Lord for the signs, the miracles, the wonders, the attestation, the proofs that Jesus had given. The next chapter, Acts 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And it continues that way. For sake of time, we won't read any more, but there's about a half a dozen others. The raising of Tabitha by Peter, raising the dead. The preaching was always accompanied with signs and wonders. The signs of the apostles confirmed and attested to the truthfulness of the Word of God. They proved the truthfulness of their speaking by the performing of these miracles. And so let me 
bring us quickly to a conclusion, which I wish I could argue to, but I'll simply assert it at this point with every confidence that, it's, that it is valid. And that is this, as the Word increased and the Word became established and the Word became the medium of the work of the Spirit of God, the signs and the wonders began to taper off rapidly. So that when the apostles all died, the, the sign gifts that were designed to attest and to prove and to vindicate and validate their word, that ceased. When the word was confirmed, the signs ceased. Now, I didn't say all miracles ceased. I said the sign gifts, the ones that were there to prove the validity of the word, no longer needed and this is what we're called to pay closer attention to. We're called to take a good strong look at the validity, the declaration of the law by the angels and the declaration of the gospel by Jesus and the apostles and the inscripturated word that descends from the two of those. This calls for a serious study of law and gospel in the Word. The title of the message is How to Pay Closer Attention. The way to pay closer attention is to get into the Word of God where now the Lord reveals Himself in His inspired Word. The same Spirit that inspired the Word will illumine your heart. And how shall we escape? How shall we keep from drifting away? The sage in the Old Testament asked this question, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. In other words, the way you escape, the way you do not drift away is by paying attention to the word of God, the law, the gospel, the person of Christ, where is all of that in your heart today? Where is that diligence? Where is that thirst and that interest? Where is that impulse to, to, to know and hunger after the Word of God? Not just so you can know doctrine. I love doctrine. But, but it's, the doctrine is just the propositions and the truths that help frame our finite mind to understand that which is precious and that which is saving, and that is Christ himself. Pray toward that end. Work toward that end. Ask the Spirit of God to, to open your eyes to behold marvelous things out of the law, the Word of God.